Welcome back to Flex Your Head, another special episode of Screen Therapy. On Flex Your Head, we take a breather from punk rock and mental health and explore classic punk albums, which I guess is good for mental health. On this episode, we're joined by Nelson from Nelson for his first time on Flex Your Head. How's it going, Nelson? It's getting better. It's getting better. Live music is returning, so I'm pretty excited. So what album are we talking about today? We are talking about uh, the fantastic 13 songs by Fugazi. Fugazi was formed in Washington, D.C. in 1986 by guitarist and vocalist Ian Mackay, vocalist Guy Picciotto, bassist Joe Lally, and drummer Brendan Canty. The 13 songs released is a combination of the Fugazi EP, which came out in 1988, six songs, and Margin Walker, which came out in 1989, seven songs. And the band toured in January 1988 before the first EP even came out, so they came into these recordings as a live touring band already. And the... Margin Walker EP was recorded in England with John Loder, who was involved with Southern Records, and that was recorded in 1988. So a lot's going on here, but basically the the long and short of it is this is Vigazi's first two appearances on the punk rock scene, and I think they really took the scene by storm in some ways, starting in locally and then kind of spreading out from there. Obviously after the, the popularity of Minor Threat and to a lesser extent Rights of Spring. So... Let's start. What are your opening thoughts on the record after we spent the last, what, two weeks just pounding on it? <laughs> I know this album top to bottom and like many significant albums in one's life, it takes me back to a time. There was a lot of talk about Ian's new band, Ian's new band. And when they came out of the gates with this one, he'd said that he wanted to do a band, quote, like the Stooges with reggae. And that was in Michael Azarad's Our Band Could Be Your Life book. Yeah, it's got a real swing to it. I know they were influenced quite a bit by go-go music out of Washington as well. But style-wise, I know you're into all kinds of punk styles and metal styles. How did you feel about the first time you heard it? I knew it was punk rock, but it, it was something quite different. Especially Joe Lally, the way his bass was really in the foreground was quite unusual for punk rock. Their breakdowns, they had a lot of dissonance and feedback, like Sonic Youth, another band who I really love. So pretty instantly I was drawn in. My friend had a picture that he took of Ian swinging his SG towards his amplifier, his Marshall amp. And I was like, this is a band I really got to see, which thankfully yeah. I did once. <laughs> I got to say right off the bat, they're my favorite band of all time. I've been doing a deep dive around the live series that they have online on Discord Records yeah. website. Yep. Fantastic. Kind of become an obsession. In fact, let's just say it is an obsession. Uh, listening to way too many of those things. Uh, there's so much uh, improvisation with this band. And on this particular record, even though they sounded like maybe a little bit, let's say, more stripped down than their later stuff, there is always that really cool improvisation. Yeah. I've been listening to it since I was a kid. And there's things that I didn't really realize at the time. You know, you grow with a band and. You come back yeah. to it later in life and realize, oh, wait a second. Oh, that song was about that. Or, oh, they're doing that thing with their guitars right there. But I do remember getting the album when I was in my first year of college and just being blown away by, it. like you said, how different it was for punk. I guess No Means No was another one that was very different in that way. But yeah, what a band. 
Uh, yeah. Also their politics and how they never charge sort of more than $10 per show. Their ideology really shaped me as a person as well. Sticking to your guns, not being a sellout. They really shaped my young mind. Because yeah, when that album came out, I would have been 18, 19. They also really practice what they preach. That was a really important life lesson. Let's talk a bit more about the album proper. 13 songs, obviously, six of them on the EP and seven on the second EP. The first EP is pure Fugazi. It's, the production is so warm and awesome, and the songs are amazing. They're the key songs from the band's catalog and, I guess, considered their most uh, infamous songs through their whole career. The second EP is a little bit strange. It was recorded uh, with isolated tracks, so it's got a bit of a colder feel. Cold's not the right word. A um, bit more of a robotic, in some ways, feel. And mm -hmm. the songs are amazing. But I always wondered if they recorded all 13 songs in that one session or gone back to D.C. to record an inner ear again for the second session, what it would have sounded like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, of course, the first... I always view the album as sort of two halves, but the waiting room has such a distinctive opening to it and just a slow burn. It's now a certified punk classic for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a great entry into a fantastic album it just draws you in even if you're not familiar with the band their choice of instrumentation just kind of reels you in you're like oh what's going to happen next i heard on a podcast called the alphabetical fugazi which is one of my favorite podcasts uh, dissects fugazi songs from a to z <laughs> nice there's an episode at the very end of the podcast because when he's done the alphabet he's done and he brings on ian mckay and pachoto and they talk about that the band's songs kind of the inside workings and Ian was saying that I guess they came back to some of the recordings for Margin Walker afterwards and were a little bit curious about some of the ways that John Loder had done the recording. And they found out that the drums aren't always Brendan Canty, that a lot of times they're click tracks. Oh. If you go back and listen to it, you can hear that really, you know, the metronome style. Oh, interesting. Which gives me a whole new perspective on it because... As soon as you're told something about a particular album, hey, the bass player is playing with six strings or whatever, you can all of a sudden listen and hear it, right? And listen back on it, because it's very strange. I'll throw a clip in so that people can hear quite a cold the drum sound is, which is yeah. such a shame because he's such an amazing drummer. talk about some of the songs you mentioned waiting room obviously the most one of the most iconic punk songs of all time that pause that we heard before it stops on the dime such an exciting song <laughs> yeah the next was a uh, bulldog front which starts with again feedback i think feedback's one of my favorite sounds in the whole world i've probably done a <laughs> lot of uh hearing damage listening and recreating it but just the kind of yelly chorus. You want to figure it out. Yeah, I really, really love that. I was thinking about this the other day when listening to it. I was never really a huge dubstep or, or electronic music fan. I kind of liked it just out of curiosity and just from being an outsider with it. But there's a lot of those kinds of drops in this album, like the very beginning of Badmouth just drops in. 
Badmouth is probably, if not my favorite song on the record, definitely in the top three. Yeah, again, Joe Lally, the bass player. He's so important to the band's sound. And the way it's mixed, he's very, his bass tracks are very upfront. Typically, the bass is kind of in the back, sort of behind the guitars and the vocals, but it's very forward, touched on before, like kind of reggae, where it's kind of a lead instrument almost. They did move away from that sound fairly quickly. Repeater, which is the album that came out after this, was basically their first album, first official album. It had a little bit of that reggae sort of tinge, but it was basically a straight-up punk record or post-hardcore, I guess you could say. This one presented that sound and then kind of slowly filtered away from it. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there's some really cool things, like the song Burning, which is the fourth song on the album, has that... Mm -hmm drum rim clicks through the whole song the there's a heavy reverb on the drums more of like a hair metal rock drum sound <laughs> which again is not a typical punk thing in punk like you have no reverb on the drums it's a very harsh pop the snare has to pop and that's it but it's a very rock sounding drums and it sounds great <laughs> what's your opinion on the on the infamous bell that he uses it's awesome <laughs> it's I mean, now it's become like an old friend and you kind of wait for it. It's like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> yeah, because there is one or two bell hits on this one. And then you listen to them live and he throws that in when you're least expecting it really. And it's so cool. I guess the story there is that they had found that bell in a some sort of an antique shop and grabbed it for him. Just almost not as a joke, but like, hey, check this out. You can put this in your drum setup. It's this huge bell from a from a ship <laughs> so i'm so glad they found that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a nice little touch for sure on suggestion i like how there's that hard cut at the end where he screams guilty and then it just stops mm -hmm. they had some really experimental stuff on later albums but even this is the very first recordings they did and they've got a lot of stuff that no other band had done before really yeah definitely punk like any sort of a genre can get sort of stuck you have to have a dry snare shouty vocals and they touched on some of those but they also expanded it and there's not very many bar chords on this no because bar chords are a staple of punk rock right i mean you think of ramones all it is is bar chords you're more of a guitar guy than than i am but there's a lot of strummed minor chords and there's not a lot of just straight up bar chords yeah exactly interested to hear what you think about the fact that on the first ep they had that you know, warmer sound, and on the second EP, how do you hear those differently? Because when I first got the record when I was a kid, I didn't even think. I just assumed this was an album of 13 songs. I didn't know they were two different things, but how do you see the differences between the two? Yeah, it's kind of a, a record has two sides. It sounds like the same band, but you can really hear both a progression in their songwriting. I agree with you 100%. The recording of the second album is so different than the first. I don't know if the band was ever really happy how the album worked as a whole, because usually you want an album of 13 songs, say, to really be cohesive. And the two of them are quite different sonically. Yeah. I read that they recorded a full album in England with John Loder, which ended up being the Margin Walker EP, but they just weren't happy with it enough to make it a full album. So I guess they must have dropped some of the songs. Makes you wonder what those songs might have been. I know they had some songs from Repeater had been staples already in their live show. Yeah, maybe it was the drum machine. 
could have been the drum clicks, but they didn't, I guess they didn't realize at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know how it is. You get a recording back and it's not how you hoped it would be, but mm -hmm. I love these songs. This, these songs are all amazing songs. I just wish that I uh, could have heard them in a different recording and hearing them live just really adds so much to them. In fact, hearing any Fugazi song live really expands on the recorded version. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was excited to find in their live archive, the show that I saw, uh, Plaza of Nations. Yeah, I was there too. Mecha Normal and Spark Marker. Yeah, I was there. Show buddies. Before we even knew each other existed, <laughs> we were at the same show. Were you up yeah. front? Because that show is infamous for having a lot of boneheads. No, but I was, I was definitely in the middle, in the thick of it, if you will. Yeah. Came out really sweaty. Had a chain, lost it. I think I lost a shoe as well. So I had to find my shoe after the show. <laughs> I remember listening to the recorded version of it and being able to remember exactly the words that Ian was saying to different people that, about them jumping up on people. And tackling Fugazi lyrics is almost as intimidating as tackling Minor Threat lyrics. Very different style and more not as overt in the way that Minor Threat was. And a lot of the lyrics are, I don't want to say poetic, but they have deeper meaning and... Mm -hmm. But the thing that sticks out right away for me is talked about suggestion before, obviously very powerful lyrics on that one. But, you know, there's so many great lines on this record. I don't know if you wrote any notes about particular lines. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've got this one uh, from Provisional. That's the price you pay for hoping every slip's not a slide. Somewhere in these Even the way like he says that line right at the end of the song, the kind of instrumentation cuts out. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, they do that quite a bit where there's a scream at the end or there's a, at the end of Promises, which is the very last song on this, he just sort of stopped quietly with words, which is part of the, the lyrics. The whole album is full of top-notch lyrics. I really love finding new things in them still to this day after however many years it's been, 30, oh God, 30 years since I sort of listened to this more than 30 mm -hmm. years and still finding new meanings and and even finding like oh that's what he was saying in that part i was going to say the same thing like thinking about what i thought the song was about when it came out versus now i think i found some uh, different things great lyricism but kind of obtuse not always like hitting the nail right on the head again like most typical punk songs where there's sort of a, a defined enemy and you're railing against it a lot of uh, social commentary. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get that thing where you mishear a lyric and for years you think that it's something else and then it's not what it is? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a pretty goofball, but in Suggestion, which is obviously a very serious song that we shouldn't be joking about necessarily, but I always thought it said, we sit back like a tortoise. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like a turtle. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's we sit back like they taught us. All right. <laughs> so the joke's on me. <laughs> I like tortoise better. <laughs> Any other thoughts about the lyrics? Well, the song and the same lyrically powerful bring up thoughts about racism and classism. If you have to carry a gun, how powerful are you really? What interesting thinkers these guys are, Ian. I don't know how he comes up with this stuff. I'm not of that intelligence. I don't feel like I have that kind of overarching look at the world. 
Yeah. I know when something's wrong and something's right, and I know how to protect my friends and all those kinds of things, but I'm not going to be this world thinker. It's just not who I am. Yeah. With Guy, he's he's so arty. That's not even doing it half the justice it should, but he's got mm-hmm. this really creative mind, and, and I could never dream to write the kind of lyrics that he writes. I just think they're so different than in so many bands, mm-hmm. not even punk bands. So And then they trade off with each other. So I, I get the sense that Ian will write a lyric and then Guy will jump in with his own lyrics, but it's not like they had written those down and said, hey, you you sing this part and I'll sing this part. It's it's all kind of organically created in the studio and live. It makes the songs way fuller doing it that <laughs> way, you know, rather than me saying to you, okay, I'm going to scream about the cops in this part and you're going to yell about this in this other part and then I'm going to scream about the cops again. And then, <laughs> Yeah, there's real intelligence and very intellectual like and the same if you have to carry a gun to keep your fragile seat at number one this is a bullet you can't outrun your way of thinking yeah i love the song bad mouth because it actually teaches me to bite my my tongue when i want to say something shitty about somebody because that's human nature for us to try to beat people down to bring ourselves up when we have self-confidence issues and we want to beat someone down to kind of make ourselves feel better prop ourselves up and that song Whenever I want to say something, and I, obviously I slip up all the time, but whenever I'm getting mm-hmm. like cranky and like, oh, I'm, I'm going to want to take that person apart, I just think of that song, Bad Mouth. I'm like, wait a second, maybe this isn't like the best way for me to be healthy. Yeah. And that song for me has been huge, and it's something that I come back to like a mantra. I love that one. So I did a bit of deep diving on people doing Fugazi covers, and mm. I found some really weird ones, some awful, some good. So... The band Prong, who you and I are both familiar with, uh, they covered Give Me the Cure on an album called Songs from the Black Hole, which was a compilation of cover songs like all these big bands seem to do. It's actually really awful. (laughs) I encourage you to look look it up just to see how awful it is. (laughs) Which is a shame because it's such a good song. Yeah, and I like Prong a lot too. Wild Flag, which is a band with Carrie Bronstein and Mary Timoney, they covered Margin Walker in their live shows. Mm -hmm. And it's also pretty bad. <laughs> I'm sure lots of people would like it. I don't think it's a very good version. And then I found this band, The Dirty Nil. I think you know that band, right? They're from Toronto. Oh, yeah. They did a cover of Provisional, and it's super solid. There's also a whole tribute album, Silence is a Dangerous Sound, and there's 43 punk bands on there, and there's some pretty good covers on there, some really bad ones as well. It's kind of a mixed bag, but uh, they're not the kind of band that you really want to try to cover. No, much like our other favorite, No Means No, pretty difficult just to get all those nuances that we've been discussing on the album. They're not the sort of one, two, three, four power chord and then Yelly Chorus, and then Back to Power Chords. Their songs are, yeah, more intellectual and carefully thought out sonically. I saw a band called X Breathers from Ottawa at Fest one year, and they actually did a Fugazi cover set, and it was really good. Fun. They kind of made it a bit of their own sound. They didn't do fully straight covers. Um, They had the two trading off vocalists and guitar players, their music itself is actually Fugazi-ish and also sort of like a No Means No, so 
there you go, two of our favorite bands in one <laughs> band. So that's nice. X Breathers from Ottawa. So are you ready to do some YouTube comments? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you just lit up. Okay, so there's lots of gushing about Fugazi, of course, and there's lots of stories about seeing them live. Those ones we don't really need to get into because they're fairly obvious. This one's pretty cool. Patrick Quails, two years ago, listening to this shit with my dad at noon. <laughs> nice. Right? That'd be pretty cool mm-hmm. to have your kid uh, listen to Fugazi with you. Yeah. This one's by Psycho Joby Joby, four years ago. A girl I used to date a long time ago turned me on to Fugazi. God bless you, Christina. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this is my favorite. It's from Waverer four years ago. I promised myself I was going to study tonight, but promises are shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Any other thoughts on the record? Uh, I mean, a great closer promises. I always took it as be true to your word. Kind of that DOA thing. Talk minus action equals zero. Yeah. Don't say empty words and don't stand behind empty words. What a great song. What a great way to end the EP as well. Mm-hmm. It's one of the songs they do live where they really draw it out with an extended freakout session at the end and come back to the really cool bass line in the middle. It peeks through the chaos. And, mm-hmm. and they've said this before, that the records really are the menu and the, the live shows are the meal. And I like that idea. There's no comparison to seeing them or hearing them live. And, and I do encourage folks to go and check out that live series on Discord.com because... Yeah, again, this is just the menu. You you pick something out off the menu, and you know what the ingredients are, but you don't actually get the full taste and the full meal until it's in front of you. I love that analogy, yeah. Anything else that comes to mind before we sign off? I always wonder, I don't think they ever will, but do you think they'll ever reform? Will we ever see Fugazi again? Yeah, I wonder about that from, well, okay, I wonder about it all the time, let's be honest here. Yeah, because they do play music together. Yeah, they still play together in the basement or whatever. I, I guess they could, if it's the right... I guess it is the right time for it because the political climate is just so volatile right now. So it could be a really mm-hmm. good time to do it. I'm not the kind of person that's going to be pining for it, I don't think, because I feel like they're with me no matter what. Mm-hmm. I don't have to see them live now for them to mean as much as they mean to me. Obviously, I'd love to see it. And I probably would travel far and wide to see it. But at the same time, I don't know if I have to see it. And Ian being in... It would only be on his terms if he thought it was right. I'm sure punk rock bowling or any of these festivals have backed up a truckload of money for a reunion set, you know, but they would never do that. That's not who they are. No, it'd be a benefit shown in DC for a really critical cause at a larger outdoor venue or something. It would probably bring thousands upon thousands of people, probably from all over the world, really. I would go. (laughs) We can't all stay at the Discord house. It's not big enough. (laughs) I don't think they would do it unless it was a cause wrapped around it. I don't know that would be, hey, Fugazi is doing a reunion show and come and check it out at the local arena. It would be more so like, okay, they're back to play a show because of this cause, which I think is pretty awesome. Definitely, yeah. Don't forget to listen to the Scream Therapy podcast that I do about punk rock and mental health. I've got 46 or 47 episodes on there, as well as a few of these Flex Your Head episodes. We've done them on Unwound, No Means No, Born Against, Minor Threat, Bikini Kill, etc. So check those out as well. ScreamTherapyHQ.com. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for being on the podcast today, Nelson, and talking about Fugazi's 13 songs. 
Thanks for having me. Much like you, I can talk about Fugazi for hours. 